You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Please find a Bible and turn to um, 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. And as we do that, we're going to be wrapping up our series here in the uh, Life of David. And the Life of David series, of course, that could go on for 50 weeks, right, if you wanted it to. And um, so it's kind of sometimes hard to know what to do and what not to do. But uh, we're going to end here and maybe at some other point in our uh, church, we'll jump back into the remainder of 2 Samuel. But this is kind of where we are and this is where we're going to end today as we look at the Life of David, which started several months ago and ends here. And I know many of us have been blessed along the process. Certainly I have uh, as well. It was Charles Spurgeon who said this, God will not allow his children to sin successfully. God will not allow his children to sin successfully. That's the heart of our message today. That is our big idea today. That is our thesis for writers. That is our propositional statement for communicators. In fact, that's such an important statement of truth today. I want us to see it all together. Let's get on the screen here right now. Take a look at this because again, this is the point of the message today. As the Lord sends Nathan to confront David, God will not allow his children to sin successfully. Why? Because he loves us too much. He won't let us continue down the path of self-destruction. He reaches for us. He rescues us. He loves us enough to bring us back. It's the same reason any wise, strong, biblical parent will discipline their children. They will discipline their children because they love them too much not to. They love them too much to let them continue down the path of self-centeredness and of self-indulgence and of self-reliance, self-sufficiency, and they show them the error of their children's ways as they allow them to highlight the path of sin that will lead them to pain, misery, and again, self-destruction. Any wise, godly, biblical parent will instruct their children in the ways of the Lord, and one of the ways you do that is by disciplining them because you love them. Then there's our Father in heaven, the perfect parent, the perfect Father in heaven who guides his children in the ways of himself because that is where we are most blessed, most satisfied, have the most joy, and that is where our lives carry the most meaning. God disciplines those that he loves. God will not allow his children to sin successfully. I wonder, are you here today? Have you been frustrated with God's plan for your life? Have you been impatient with God's will for your life? Have you resented secretly in your heart? You wouldn't say it out loud, but secretly in your heart. Have you resented God's purpose or lack of provision upon your life? Be very, very careful, loved ones. You might actually be resenting the love of God in your life. You might actually be holding bitterness towards God as his perfect plan unfolds upon your heart, your mind, your family, and your life. Be very, very careful. Because the ways of God are so much different than the ways of man. God knows absolutely what is best for us and his plans will always be so much greater than our own. The very last sentence in 2 Samuel chapter 11 tells us so much of what's to come for us today. And it says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. 
And this takes us now to 2 Samuel 12. Now the timing of God is something that you and I will never fully understand. We have to understand here that the Lord had seen every ounce of David's sin. Every ounce. The Lord heard every word regarding David's sin with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah. The Lord knew every single thought in David's mind. He knew exactly where his heart was and where it wasn't. Yet the Lord would not respond right away in David's life. In fact, the Lord allowed David to anguish in his sin for months. Again, the insight we have into the period between David's sin with Bathsheba, the murder of Uriah, and then when he's confronted by Nathan, we have Psalm 32 that last week we looked at that revealed to us David was in torment of his soul. The hand of God heavy pressing upon him. His strength was dried up like the heat of summer, it says in Psalm 32. And the Lord allowed him to sit in anguish in his sin and waiting patiently for the right time to to confront him. What we may not know between 2 Samuel 11 and 2 Samuel 12, the period between this time is months. Scholars estimate at least six months, quite possibly 12 months. David had no peace because David had no repentance. And isn't that unconfessed sin? Unconfessed sin in our lives, it eats at us, torments us, it hollows us. It it empties us again. It causes us to toss and turn when we're lying awake at night and wake up and we're like, oh no, it's 2.22. And we're sitting there and our minds race on on the peace we don't have. We're tossing and turning. Why can't I sleep? Why can't I sleep? That was David and that is many of us as well. This shows us too how hard the human heart can really become and how dull the conscience can become as well. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. You know, if we resist the Holy Spirit for very long, what ends up happening is we end up shutting out His voice, and then the conviction of God's Spirit in our lives lessens over time. But let's be very warned from our text today. Let's be very warned. The longer we push off the Holy Spirit, then the greater the devastation will be for God to take back what is rightfully His. What's the principle here? Galatians 6, God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. We will reap what we sow. And in this case here, David was reaping a hardened heart through his ongoing sin and a lack of repentance. And he'd be pushed and pushed and pushed to the point where the devastation would come in and he would be utterly broken because God loves him so much and God was going to call him back to himself and not let him stray any longer. There will come a time in our lives as we continue to run away from the Lord. If we are truly His, if we truly belong to Him, the Lord will say, enough is enough. Enough is enough. And as we turn to 2 Samuel 12, verse 1, it's here the Lord said, enough is enough. It is time to confront the hardened heart of David. So this is what we learn today. What does it mean for the Lord to confront a heart in love? How does this work? What does this look like? Why does God do this? This is what we learn today. It takes us to point number one. When it comes to the confrontation of the heart, first of all, in love, the Lord will send. Now, every point today starts with in love because I want you to know this is what it is. This is the love of God. The love of God is in every single point. Some are harder than others, but this is God's love. 
If God was not loving, he'd let us go. But because he is loving, he will not let us stray for that long. He will call us back. In love, the Lord will send. Look at verse 1 now, chapter 12. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Can you see the love of God even in that first sentence? The Lord sent Nathan to David. You know, the Lord could have stricken David with disease, caused him to die, as he's done in different places in the Old Testament. The Lord could have raised up an army, a foreign army, to come against Israel and routed them. And David could have lost his kingdom just like that. God could have done that as he did in other places. But rather what the Lord does is he, he sends his prophet, Nathan. I want you to see there where it says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. There's so much grace and mercy and kindness even in that one phrase. Notice how the Lord gently, lovingly, yet with conviction, he's pursuing David. He's calling David. And even that is happening right now in this place. The Lord gently, lovingly, but firmly pursues his people to gather the love again that is rightfully his. He does your jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us because it's his. And he sends for us because he longs for us. That, in my mind, is mind-blowing. The fact that the God of the universe, the God who dwells in perfection and incredible, mind-blowing glory, who needs nothing, who's completely uh, complete in himself and fully secure and an awesome harmony with the Trinity, that this God wants your love. Unreal, astounding, incredible can't make sense of it in my heart and mind. Yet this is the God that we serve and the God that we belong to. And the text says, and the Lord sent David. Notice this, it's God who takes the initiative. And isn't that so true? How often our hearts are so prone to wander. Our hearts are so failing. Our hearts can be so disloyal to the Lord. And yet there is God again and again seeking out again our love for him. And just think about this, for every person that is here right now, and you are saved in Jesus Christ, think about God's initiative in your life. Let's look at the gospel. Think of how God initiated his love upon you, starting with he chose you before the foundation of the world. Before the world was even formed, you were picked out on his heart that you might be chosen, that he would put his spirit to dwell in you, that he would regenerate you, that he would reconcile you to himself, that he would redeem you, that he would save you, that he would seal you with the power of the Holy Spirit, that he would guarantee you as his child and that you are his possession forever, that he would secure a place for you in glory and a mansion that awaits you right now. He, 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 he did everything. He's responsible for every part of your and mine salvation if we are saved in the Lord Jesus Christ. We did nothing. He did everything. He took the initiative. And that's why he pursues our spirits and our love because he is worthy of our greatest praise. This is the power of the gospel unfolding within our lives. And when he has made us his own, he will not settle for anything less than us being his own. So so you can try to run. And you can try to hide, and you can try to soak in your sin, but it's only a matter of time that he will send for our hearts because he will never let us go. It's amazing what we try to do with God sometimes. When someone comes to our house and we don't want to answer the door for whatever reason, we don't want to talk to the person, maybe someone who's got some kind of advertising they're trying to sell us something, or maybe it's someone we just don't like, and what do we do? We lock the doors, 
We often close the window blinds. Turn out the lights, turn out the lights, turn out the lights. As we run downstairs into the basement, we're like, don't, 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 don't answer the door, kids, don't answer the door. And we're sitting there hiding and hiding, and there we are, we are. And we do that with God sometimes, don't we? Here comes God, here comes God. Lock the doors. Close the window blinds. No, turn out the lights. Let's go to the basement, let's hide. Here comes God, here comes God. I don't want him to find us. Listen, God will find his way in. He will, he will do whatever it takes to get through to us because he knows what's best for us. Some of you are here right now, and this is exactly what the Lord is doing through this message right now. He is seeking to get through all the barriers you've put up because his love will not be stopped and his grace will not be quenched. And he desires again to have what is rightfully his. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan is God's messenger of love. Isn't it so true? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. David would be sent as one of the greatest instruments of truth and grace that David has ever known. Are we able to look at the faithful wounds of true friends? Flattery is not friendship, loved ones. If you surround yourself with people who just make you feel better about yourself, that's not true friendship. Grace and truth is friendship. Those who are willing by the hand of the Lord in love to bring us faithful wounds that we might hear what God has to say for us. Grace and truth and friendship. This would be one of the greatest turning points of David's life ever in this chapter right here. Why? Because in love the Lord will send. He will send to confront us in our sin because he loves us so much. Number two, when it comes to confrontation of the heart, the love, in love the Lord will speak. He will send because he wants to speak. Look at the second half of verse one now. So Nathan came to David and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him. He noticed the tenderness of this little lamb to this poor man. It grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. The footnote of my Bible says his bosom. This lamb was so dear to him and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or her to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Verse 5. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold. Why did David say that? Because he knew the law. And the law of Moses says, You steal the lamb, you restore it fourfold. It's amazing how much of the law David knew in his head, but at this point it had not reached his heart. Because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Verse 7. And Nathan said to David, You are the man. That that has got to be one of the top moments in Scripture of wanting to see what was happening in that situation. Live in the text as you live in the text and imagine what this was like. First of all, I want you to notice this, the courage and the boldness of Nathan. Here he is sent by the Lord one-on-one with the king with a message of tremendous confrontation. 
Nathan, without a doubt, has been commissioned with the hardest message of the king's life so far. That is not an easy task. But notice the wisdom that God gives to Nathan as he approaches David with a story, with a parable. But David doesn't realize it's a story or a parable. We think David is taking it for the real thing by the way that he responds. So notice, notice God's wisdom through Nathan here. It's a parable of a sheep. Now, why is that important? Well, David, of course, used to be a shepherd. When he hears about the tender affection of this little ewe lamb, David would think back to his days in the pasture when he was a nobody, and there he was protecting his sheep and guarding them. He would fully, fully understand. This is appealing to David's sympathy, his affection, and his compassion. This parable, again, David likely takes for an actual event. Because of the anger with which he demonstrates, it's like he sees this as an actual event under his rule, and he responds with a righteous indignation or an indignation nonetheless. Notice in this parable, this is something that brings David's defenses down. God uses it to get David to feel, to get David to insert himself in the story. It makes him vulnerable. Really, it's a brilliant strategy of God. Because God tends to be pretty smart, huh? And so God uses this parable, and David, without knowing it, he puts his heart on the table. And it's about to be confronted with grace and truth. The bait was on the hook, and David bit on it hard. Now let's just make sure we're on the same page of what's happening within this parable spoken by Nathan. Some of us understand right now, some of us maybe don't. The parable contains the following. The rich man equals David. The poor man equals Uriah. The little lamb equals Bathsheba. And the traveler, the traveler represents the lust of David coming to him in a form of temptation to take his heart away from where it should be. Notice, David in his blindness, because this is what sin does to us. Sin blinds us. David in his blindness doesn't see any of this. He's not putting the things together. Maybe he's been his heart, heart has been hardened over enough time. He just, he's not making any sense of this. David doesn't see himself in the story. David sees a rich man that deserves to die for his crime. So let's just stop right here, time out for a second, and let's learn a bunch right now of where David is and where we will find ourselves as well if we are not careful in the process of unconfessed in. Warren Wearsby says this, of all blindness, listen and learn, loved ones, learn of all blindness, the worst kind is that which makes us blind to ourselves. Of all the blindness we can have, the worst kind is that which makes us blind to ourselves. Joseph Butler said this, many men seem perfect strangers to their own character. Isn't that so true? We see all the evidences of sin in others. But when it comes to ourselves, we are perfectly strangers to the reality of the character that lives within us. It's so easy to feel tremendous conviction about the people around us. But when it comes to ourselves, we can often be so clueless. Isn't this exactly what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 7, the speck versus the log? You are not to judge. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? But you miss the log that is in your own, that is David. I've done this before. I want to do it again. One, because it's fun, and two, because it's very helpful, okay? The speck versus the log, okay? This is the guy with the log in his eye, okay? 
When Jesus says this, this is what the people are imagining. Something like this. And walking around saying, hey, look at the sin in your eye. Look at the sin. Oh, what is that? Oh, sorry, that's my log in my eye. But look at the sin in your eye. Look at the sin. Look how terrible you are. And meanwhile, you're walking around like this, and you look like the biggest fool on earth. That's what pride does to us. It blinds us to our own blindness. We're so easily able to see the sins of others, but so often fail to see the sin in ourselves. Learn right here, learn right here. When we become distant from God, we fail to have true spiritual discernment. When unconfessed sin grows in our lives, our wisdom goes down, 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 down. This is what was happening to David. Incredibly here in this text, David sentences the man, and as he sentences the man without knowing it, he sentences himself. In this incredible moment here where David is greatly unguarded and vulnerable, what happens here is the plan has worked perfectly because God was the one who came up with the plan. And as David makes himself incredibly vulnerable, Nathan now pulls out the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which judges the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And as Nathan pulls out the sword of the Spirit, he is about to pierce David between soul and spirit, Hebrews 4. And with four words, he will absolutely decimate David in the love of God. Four words that will never be forgotten. You are the man. Let me ask you, what did David's face look like in that moment? What did he do? Seemingly, he said nothing at that point. Did his mouth just draw open? Did his eyes go huge and wide? Was there a tremendous sense of awkwardness? Was the conviction so apparent that the blood drained from his face? You are the man. Just look at what the Lord does in love. Weeks and months of hardening of heart and in one moment of Holy Spirit conviction through the word of God, four words, and bam and done. David's heart now has been cut. David's heart now, surgery has been performed on it. Listen, when the Lord wants to speak, he will be heard. And when the Lord wants to speak in our lives, oh, I pray we would have ears, that we would have ears to listen. Right here in David's life is a defining moment. When he is confronted with this sin, what will he do? If he turns in pride, he will be greatly opposed by the Lord. But in that moment, the opportunity for humility to humble myself under God's hand and to know and experience the grace of God again. When God confronts us in our sin, the way we respond determines the direction of our life from that point forward. A defining moment for David's life. Because the Lord loves him so much, he sends someone to him he Loves him so much, he speaks to him and his sin. And thirdly, because the Lord loves him so much, he will sentence. In love, the Lord will now sentence. Now, point three is a hard pill to swallow for those of us living under the new covenant, which is everyone. And the reason that's a hard pill to swallow is because we know Romans says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Huge, huge amen from me, and hopefully a huge amen from you as well. That is so right, that is so true. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are 100% forgiven if we have confessed our sins and asked for Jesus Christ to forgive us our sins. Every single sin, not one has been missed as we sang in that song today. Awesome. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. However, this point is true for David in his temporal life. 
consequences would be handed out because of his sin and loved ones. It's true for us in our temporal life as well. 100% forgiven by Jesus Christ. Yet sin brings with it consequences in some form and some way. So here's what God begins to unfold. And look at verse 7. David says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. Listen to this. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. This is amazing to me. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword, not of your own sword, but the swords of the enemies of God's people. It's like it couldn't be worse, the swords of the Ammonites. Look at verse 10. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because, listen, you have despised me. Says the Lord of hosts. Because you have despised me. Verse 9, why have you despised the word of the Lord? Notice the heart of God throughout this text. David sins described in verses 9 and 10, an offense against God himself. Now, isn't that what sin is? Sin is essentially, God, I know your rules, but I hate them, and I want to play by my own rules. God, I know what you say, and I choose in this moment, I despise what you say, because in the end of the day, in my sin and in my flesh, I want to be God, not you. Get away from me, God. I hate your rules. I hate your ways. I love me. I love my sin. That was David. He knew exactly what he was to do and not to do. And he personally affronted the holy God by despising the word of God. And at the end of the day, God takes it personally upon himself. Why have you despised me? The more we think this way in terms of our sin, the healthier our hearts become. So often we're so horizontally focused. We're sinning against this person and parents and children and friends and we're ruining heart. The number one relationship in our existence is our vertical relationship with the Lord God Almighty. It also hit me so hard in, in verse 8 where it says, and, and if this were too little, I would add to you as, as much more. So this is the Lord speaking right through Nathan to David. These are the Lord's words. Essentially what God is saying, and just listen here and learn. Essentially what God is saying, he's saying, David, I gave you so much. David, I gave you everything. You had everything a man could want. And then he says this to him. God in his astounding grace, he says, but, but David, if that, was, if that was too little for you, you ask and I would have given you even more. The astounding grace of our God, the astounding kindness, the astounding generosity, the astounding love. And he owes us nothing. God owes us nothing. He owes David nothing. Nothing. He owes you and I nothing. But his willingness to pour grace upon grace and notice this, loved ones, notice, which is so important for us to see, the seed then of David's sin, according to verse 8, the root of his sin was this, it was a lack of gratitude. He was not thankful, he was 
ungrateful. It was ingratitude in his life. Because ultimately at the root of his sin with Bathsheba, he's saying, God, I don't have enough. I want more. I choose her. God, you are not good because you have not provided for me the very things I need in this life. That is a massively important insight for our lives. Incredibly serious. The seed of ingratitude in our lives, which can result in such devastating sin. Can you see how ingratitude filters on your heart and mind and begins to form places of sin throughout our lives? Let me help you with that. Let me help us with some of this as well, because we need sometimes just to be given some examples to let this sink in a little farther. Think of how this truth impacts us. When we covet something or someone that isn't our own, when we long to have something that isn't ours, we covet it or someone, aren't we saying to God, God, I don't have enough. God, you are not good. You have failed me, God, because you have not given me everything that I want. Our covetousness fundamentally, we are ungrateful before God and we accuse him of not supplying for us that which we think we deserve, that we need, that we're entitled to. Let me turn this slightly right now. When we hate others, are we not perfectly loved by God ourselves? When we gossip, Has the Lord not pronounced us and declared us to be his own and his children? When we are jealous of others, are we not co-heirs with Christ in the immeasurable riches of his glory? When we steal, is not Jesus Christ our supreme treasure? Has he not given us everything we could ever want for this life and eternity in himself? And by his lavish of goodness and grace and love, when we want things of this world, are we not saying to Jesus Christ, you are not enough? You have not given me enough. You are not good enough. You are not beautiful enough. You have not served me enough. Is that not the evil of our heart coming out in that moment right there? When we withhold forgiveness from people and we have bitterness stolen up in our heart, have we not forgotten that in Jesus Christ we are completely 100% forgiven ourselves? Think of the power of the gospel. The gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ right here, when it's properly applied, is our greatest weapon against temptation. David, fundamentally, if he had the gospel laid out for his life and God's goodness in his life and all that God has given him, that would be his single greatest weapon against adultery with Bathsheba because when he looks at his God, he needs nothing else. When he sees God's provision, he doesn't want anything else. But when the heart wanders and the heart goes to a place that it's about me and I'm entitled and I want to satisfy my sin, then all of a sudden God is not good. God is not sufficient. God is not the glory that he deserves for my life. And then I decide that I need more and I declare to God that he is not good. That was David. Please, Lord, let it not be us. 
So much of our sin is a reflection how little we understand who we are in Christ and what we've been given in Christ. God, forgive us. God, forgive us. We're so selfish. I'm so ungrateful so often. We have everything we could ever want in the Lord Jesus Christ. And look what happens to David here in verse 10 now. Here's the, here's the sentence. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. And this is what happens in the rest of 2 Samuel now. Notice, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. Why do we have this here under the new covenant? Why do we have this example before us? Because this is written down for our instruction. This text right here is to warn us. This is to instruct us of the realities and the futile pursuit of sin within our lives. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 on the screen for you. I want you to look at this. The word therefore points back to the verses before in verses 10 and 11. And what that's saying is the lies of the Old Testament saints were written down for our instruction. That's what it says. You can look it up later. Therefore, because these lies were written down for our instruction, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. This is why we have the life of David right now. That we would look and learn and be warned and understand that our hearts, our hearts must be treated with suspicion on the best of days. Look at the phrase between standing and falling in this text. The phrase between standing and falling is take heed. The difference between standing and falling is this. Keep your heart with all vigilance. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Take heed lest he fall. Loved ones, this is it right here. Take heed, take heed, take heed. Not one person in this room is immune to the reality and the hardness and the deceitfulness of sin. Not one person. And if you and I are wise, we will take heed lest we think we stand because then we are just steps away from falling, falling hard. Take heed. Again, again, wisdom, wisdom. Treat your heart with suspicion. Always treat your own heart with suspicion. You know in our world, the phrase that's so often said, it's like, hey, follow your heart, follow your heart. That is terrible advice. Just follow your heart. If I have one more teeny bopper song that has some kind of phrase of believe in yourself or you can do it or follow your heart. No, 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 no. So what I do in my house sometimes when those songs come on, I pause the TV. Hey, follow your heart. Pause, pause. Time out, kids. That is a lie. No, 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 don't, don't follow your heart because your heart will take you nowhere good at all to the pit of hell is where it's going. Follow Jesus Christ. Dad, you're really weird. I know, I know, I know, okay? 
but, 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 if you follow your heart, that's not going to be good. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can take our heart and make it clean. Jesus is the only one who can create in us that pure heart and renew the right spirit within me. And our world has these subtleties all embedded through our society. And yeah, believe in yourself. Believe in this. Really? Really me? Me? Believe in me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I can't stand this. I, I, the day when the old self is dead and gone, no more sin, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more frustration, no more, follow your heart, no, no thanks. Follow the heart of God, though, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why the Lord confronts us, because he loves us, because he loves us. And in love he will send and he will speak and he will sentence. And finally, in love the Lord will save. Amen, church? The Lord will save. Look at verse 13 now. So all this goes on and there's David with his face making an expression we can only imagine. And at the end of the sentencing... David has one phrase, that's it. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. Notice, David gets it right here. At this moment now, his sin is not against Bathsheba. His sin is not even against Uriah. The ultimate implications of his sin is Lord I've sinned against you and you only have I sinned against and done what is evil in your sight what I love about this moment right here there's no excuse from David there's no pushback there's no rationalization and there's no inner lawyer but but I I could have but wait, wait, wait I, I, there's, there's none of that the dormant conscience of David in one moment. It was dormant for months. And in one moment, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, his dormant conscience is brought back to life. That's so beautiful. The pilot light of David's heart was so close to going out, a flickering flame. But then all of a sudden, in a moment, by God's grace and God's love, God sends to him, God confronts him, and then the pilot light is rekindled and the flame starts to burn again and David's heart starts to come alive. The man after God's own heart all of a sudden is now being renewed and restored. And despite his sin and despite his failure and despite all his heartache and his sins, God in his grace is allowing David yet again to feel and live and to know his good even though David deserves it not. Because David in this moment turns to the only place he can. He turns in repentance and says, I have sinned against the Lord. The harpist whose harp was out of tune and the harpist who had not played in so long in this one sentence, he picks up the harp again and the harpist will sing and play again to the glory of God. Consequences will come. But the forgiveness and the grace of God will be found upon David's life and heart. The moment he says, I've sinned against the Lord, the pus of the infection is lanced. It is cut. And then the healing can begin. And isn't that sin in our souls? Sin is like pus of an infection to our soul. And repentance takes the knife and cuts it open so the pus can be released. And the pain now starts to go away and the healing begins to begin. 
That's the power of repentance and confession. That's why the Lord is near to the broken heart and saves the crushed in spirit. That's why the sacrifices of God are a broken in spirit, a broken and contrite heart God you will not despise. That is why God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Because when sin is in our souls and is pus of infection, repentance comes, cuts it open, and allows the healing to begin for the Lord to truly work again upon our lives. Oh God, may that be here today. Who here has an infection of the soul? The only answer to this is true repentance. And to say, I have sinned against the Lord. Notice David's sorrow here is not worldly. It's not God fix my life. Oh God, I'm sorry for what I have done, so now can you solve my problems? No, it's godly sorrow. All he sees is vertical. Lord, I have wronged you. Lord, I have wronged you. Just in case you think this repentance is shallow in 2 Samuel, the entire Psalm in 51 is the explanation to the reality and the details of David's heart. And Psalm 51 will answer all your questions whether or not you think this is real or sincere. It's likely that David that night as Nathan left the house, David wrote Psalm 51. Here's a couple of verses from Psalm 51 that David said. Verse 3 right here. Here's what he said. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Verse 4, against you, God, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And see, verses 3 and verse 4 inevitably lead to verse 10 now. Oh, God created me a clean heart. God created me a clean heart. If you're the only one who can do it, Lord, I renew a right spirit within me. God created me a clean heart. I wonder who here today the Lord is in love, is confronting in sin because he loves you so much. Who here today needs to find repentance as the starting point for healing for their soul? Who here today needs to simply confess the phrase of David, I have sinned against the Lord? Who here today needs to take their heart? You know, the summary of this entire series, A Man After God's Own Heart. I'm so thankful for David's ups and downs, his triumphs and his failures. I'm so thankful because we're just like him then. And who here today, we summarize this whole series, to take your heart and present it as an offering to the Lord. And to say, God, my life has not been where it needs to be. But God, because you love me so much, you continue to call to me. And today's the day that I desire to put my heart before you, that you would use it right now that you would use it right now. I surrender, I give up, I repent, and I ask you, Lord, to make me whole again. You would restore me and revive my heart of affection for the Lord Jesus Christ. Who here today is in that place? Oh, Lord, create in us clean hearts. Because when the Lord has your heart, then he has your everything. Everything.